Yeah, I mean, the closest colors that I could describe is kind of like a bronze and gold color, you know, that I was seeing through the angels. But my, you know, I was able to see angels, you know, spiritual guides, loved ones. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a sciencey skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions keep an open mind and wonder what the fuck just happened heads up this episode is a recording of an instagram live conversation i had with jake cooper so the audio isn't as good as it is in some of the other episodes everyone thank you so much for joining us on this instagram live i am so excited because i am talking to a friend of mine who also really inspires me his name is jacob cooper jake he he will give himself a proper intro of his history and story but from my perspective he had a near-death experience and it's just so evidential and amazing and for someone like me who's still really skeptical has dealt with grief meeting someone like jake is you know i see he's normal intelligent grounded and then you just have to believe him when you hear him and trust his perspective so for someone like me who's dealt you know with having a hard time sometimes believing an afterlife's real oh yes darren yes and these are your domain it's really good to get to talk to people like Jake. And he also wrote an amazing book. And I'm going to let him do his proper professional intro here. Yeah. Is it okay if I say to people how we are, how our cross paths? Is that a cool? Prayer for Family Foundation? Definitely. Yeah. 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 So, 
I know our, cross pat, our paths cross at the Foundation Summer Retreat. Uh, I was very honored to be the first ever near-death experiencer to present with the Foundation uh, this past summer. And I know we, you know, we connected there, but you know, I know the Foundation does a lot of scientific stuff as well as evidential pieces. And I think it was great to you know, get the NDE involved. And I know the Foundation was a part of surviving Netflix is surviving death, and the first segment was end of years. So it just seemed like they were file, they were in lieu with that documentary by adding on, you know, an experiencer, and it seemed to get you know good support, good feedback, and just other paths up the mountain, you know, of the nonlinearity of consciousness, you know, body to body, lifetime to lifetime, you know, that when the body goes, we still continue. And would you also just as we're getting started? So Jake presented NDE. Will you just tell the name of your book, your website, your publisher, anything that you think is important to share. Sure. Sure. You know, my book is titled Life After Breath. It's uh, published by Waterside Productions, you know, out in California. It's my first book that I published last December. You know, it's been endorsed by the likes of Dr. Bernie Siegel, Anita Marjani, Dr. Rita Moody, you know, and, you know, Mark Anthony, Suzanne Giesman, and more. Um, it's gotten you know, some, some good feedback and support. And I think, you know, I, w I always get interviewed and when people interview me, they probably know my book better than I do. And why I say that as I just put it out there and I'm sure you with your work will understand this is just, you kind of put your work out there. Then after that, it becomes someone else's, you know, kind of story and they take ownership of their own spirituality. So, but it's, it's had a life of its own and that's what I love. But, um, you know, I do public presentations, you know, private work, you know, and just a lot of different things. And currently I'm completing my second book now, which is yeah, really exciting. So I'm almost done with that. Are you allowed to say uh, what that's about or do we have to? Oh, no, no, no. I have, I have no restrictions. You know, that, that book is titled The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder for now. But uh, <laughs> it's funny, my grandmother jokes, she said, is it Jacob's Ladder or Jacob's Bladder? And I go, depending on how good it is, you, uh, you know, that, that'll be the reader's perception. But, uh, you know, Jacob's Ladder is, uh, you know, has a lot of allegory with my near-death experience and my name, which we'll, we'll get into. But, you know, that book is a lot of the, uh, I view life after breath as the karma of my near-death experience, which is kind of like the story versus the wisdom of Jacob's ladder is the more the dharma, the lessons, the meaning, the purpose uh, behind it. So, you know, it's a nice segue to life after breath and kind of like it's older, you know, it's younger sibling in a way. So... Well, I'm just also going to take one second to tell everyone in case somebody here, one of our listeners, doesn't exactly know what a near-death experience is. So that's essentially when someone physically passes away, you know, their heart stopped, there's even been no brain activity monitored, and through medical intervention, they're brought back to life, and they have absolutely incredible experiences and, and there's fascinating similarities between a lot of them essentially it's one of the most evidential bodies of research that we survive bodily death in some way and i'm jacob's one of the people who had one when he was very young so i'm going to ask him a lot of questions about it any of you who have questions feel free to put them in the chat and that's a little bit of the background. So I'm going to first ask you to tell the story. I know you're so little, if you were three or four, 
So what happened? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I um, had my near-death experience as a result as uh, something known as pertussis, otherwise known as whooping cough. And you were you know, three, just, am I right? Is that old you were? September of 1993. Yeah, you know, you're, you know, you read my book, didn't you? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, I, I went to a playground, you know, innocently, and as a result of whipping cough, I had suffocation going up on the ladder on a slide. And after losing, you know, the breath in the body, I was able to surrender to the breath of eternity. And you know, the period of suffocation was so, incredibly traumatizing. I'm interrupting yeah. you. Surrender to the breath of eternity. That's someone who's probably spiritual like you knows what that would mean someone like me who's really has not had that what what does that mean what does that feel like like as just a lay person how would i understand that? yeah right well i know you're talking about ndes and a lot of them are euphoric but i experience part of the de-stressing elements of a near-death experience and important to note that not not all near-death near experiences are euphoric some have distressing, you know, almost kind of hellish experience. But uh, if you ask me, my perception is true NDEs, when you cross over and you go to the other side, it is completely euphoric. You know, when you don't really cross over and you're still in between the two worlds, it could be distressing. But surrender is a principle that I really highlight in my next book, The Power of It. But essentially, there, there was nowhere to go in suffocation. There was no oxygen. There was no anything my body wasn't working or responsive. Yeah, literally, as a result of deprivation of oxygen, you know, I felt my brain literally snap in half as if you take a plug out of a wall and, you, and I just felt this large crack. So you felt that as the like saying a goes, crack like went through your brain. You, that, you, that was a physical massive. experience. Yeah, I could go back to it this day very easily. And I think trauma is one of the reasons why. I'm able to hold on to this experience so clearly combined with the fact that it was totally outside of my brain, you know, it was in the nonlinear consciousness. But surrendering to this power meant that I was able to let go of my own suffering when I crossed over to the other side and I allowed that power to be my saving grace. You know, so with the body not working, I was able to surrender to this, you know, eternal consciousness on the other side. And that to me was the breath that got me into existence. It was who I was and what I was ever, forever connected to, which is an eternal spiritual being here in, you know, limited in this physical body. So you felt like so I was able to clean back home. an inability to breathe. And then it was like, what, what did you tell yourself? I'm just letting go. So you, and you felt the crack through your brain and then you were, what happened? You through, through letting go, everything happened. You know, once I let go of suffering in that period of suffocation, I was felt with the ultimate breath of life, which is beyond this physical body, you know, which is who we are, where we come from, what we're eternally connected to, and that can never be taken from you. And it goes beyond our last breath. And I'm living proof of it, you know. Uh, and I think we all, we all are in a way because we lived many lives and died many deaths, I firmly believe. And so we, we go on body to body. So what did it feel like after? So you felt you, three years old, this experience is suffocating, you let go. And then what did it feel like? Did it feel, is it explicable to, like, to people who haven't experienced it? To me, not, not really. But to viewers, I, the reason why I try to 
say words. It's the close, it's the vernacular that we have in this world, and it does something. But any near-death experience, it will tell you, to ourselves, words do not fully capture it. But the beauty is, is with those words, it could open up doorways and changes in lives. And that, to me, is 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 immeasurable. So that's why I talk about it. But if you ask me, do words equate it on a personal level? No. There are you know, words and colors and sounds and feelings so far beyond this reality, you know, so we're using a limited context. But now that we're here, it's our ultimate superpower that we have. It's how we communicate here on this planet. And so, you know, near-death experiencers and spiritual teachers are kind of like artists where you get this vision and you have to do your best you can to draw it on the canvas in front of people to depict it as accurately as you can. But it's, it's a limited context. Okay, so I'm gonna have, it's all so interesting. I have like 30 questions inspired from that, but I just want yeah, to- Yeah, you gotta coordinate, yeah. So, um, D, sorry, but D free 444. Hi, so, hi Jacob. I haven't read your book, but look forward to. My two NDEs were pain-free, completely relaxed and physically unscathed. Wow, that sounds incredible. My horse reared up up and over on top of me and you were drowning and then he wants to know what is the physical feelings you still experience from your nde today i assume you what are so i i guess if you do have physical feelings still from it yeah i mean it's the most intensified traumatic event that i had in my life yet the most euphoric and rewarding and so i look at my nde as a double-edged sword but the more meaning, the more purpose I have it, the more healing I have from that period. But, you know, unless you've been there, it's hard to describe. But breath is what keeps us going unless you're on a ventilator or you know, oxygen supply and so oxygen assistance. So, uh, you know, when that's taken, you're put in this place where you're not, the body's not working, but you're not over there either. And so if you're familiar with Dr. Eben Alexander, what, you know, his NDE due to bacterial meningitis, he had something a little bit more elongated, but he was just in this kind of like eternal period of suffering that he felt. And then eventually, you know, like myself, he crossed over and, you know, entered the light and, you know, the rest is history. So, but I, I would say it was pain, but it was also euphoric knowing how limited pain is, that it doesn't last forever. And even the most painful experiences transform and they go back you know, to, we all go back to home, no matter what. And you experienced that. Did you see loved ones? Did you just feel joy? What, how was it? You said you saw colors that don't exist in this realm. Am I right about, did you say that? Yeah, I mean, the closest colors that I could describe is kind of like a bronze and gold color, you know, that I was seeing through the angels, but my you know, I was able to see angels, you know, spiritual guides, loved ones, awareness of the endless apex of life itself and all that ever is, never was, which you know, the best way I could describe in our vernacular, but the most limiting ways is, is the word G-O-D. But, you know, that word is beyond limiting. There is no word. When you're talking about the infinite, you can't have a word to properly ever describe it, but it's in the doorways of who we are and what we're forever connected to. I would say, you know, having this experience was 
a lot of amnesia. It wasn't something new. It was a familiar place that I know was home. It was, I think the feeling was, is just the forgetfulness, even at three years old, as to how the blinders of the human condition could happen and how we could forget our essence, our home, and how we're still connected to that, even while being alive in this body. So there's so many layers of forgetfulness, you know, was there. So that's kind of where we come from, our consciousness, and we go into bodies and we can't see these certain dimensions or experiences or that is our home. And that's where we go back to when we pass away. That was your, and, and you felt like you were like, oh, this is where I'm like my source or home. Or, and that's how it felt when you went back. Yeah. And I don't talk to like, talk, you know, I don't necessarily like to talk about, you know, other experiences, but I think, you know, one of the historical figures who knew heaven better than almost anyone, you know, JC would, Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is within. Each of you have that inside of you. And I think sometimes we forget that. In our world, we're taught that in order to have a certain echelon or to be somewhere, you need to do something. But, you know, we're not just here to potentially transform heaven on earth, but we forget that we are literal segments of consciousness of heaven here on earth. And that is a phyla of what we're forever connected to. So you use the word angel. Like, what would you define as an angel? Because to me, it doesn't seem like something real. It seems like those little, like, ornament decorations with wings that, like, your parents tell you are real when you're, like, five, and they, as they tell you to see the fairies real. Like, that's what I always think of when I hear angel. So, like, but you had this literal experience and used that word. So how do you perceive angel? that you saw? Yeah, I mean, you know, I know when you look at some of the art out there and, you know, pictures of that, I always say something comes from somewhere. It's not, you know, random. And when you're an artist, you really are tapping into a high point of creative receptive receptivity. And so I think those are somewhat accurate. But, you know, there's many different realms of the angelic realm. I think there's the higher angelic beings, you know, archangels, uh, spiritual guides, you know, which you call guardian angels, which are really contracted with you before you get into this body, into this lifetime, and might have joined you in other incarnations, you know. And then there were just, you know, angels that I saw in my NDE, which were very um, childlike in their presentation. Uh, I think distinguishing factors of the angelic realm is different vibrational frequencies. I think spiritual guides at least to me, have a lot more of a micro-understanding of the human condition, a, a lot more human characteristics, although they are beyond beautiful and beyond words. But the, ange the angelic field that I saw in my MDE was more uniform in their presentation. And they were a lot less concerned with me myself, but more concerned with the energy field and the planet. And so, like you, when I was seeing this field, and I know like many people who have NDEs, which is kind of like a rubber band where you just stretch yourself back to the other side of this rubber band and you come back. Right? Otherwise you wouldn't have a near death experience if you didn't come back from stretching the rubber band and going to the other side. But there's an incubational period, an adjustment period, even if it's incredibly familiar. And so like you, when I was seeing this, I'm like, oh my God, they're literally right in front of me. And it was just like a thin veil 
And so what I would say is, that, you know, the other side to me did feel like a million miles away, but it also is right here overlaying this reality too. And the angels are literally, you just turn a dial slightly up. They're right here in this thin veil separating the world. So they're not that far away. They're really not. Do you think, are they, did they used to be people on this planet or another planet or, you know, eons ago and another big bang big crunch universe like were they have they had had experiences as being humans as well you know <laughs> can't say nowhere yes but it just seemed like they had a lot less human characteristics you know they were just so pure unconditional uniformal you know in their presentation whereas the spirit guides were a lot more kind of grounded in their energy and you know, who knows, maybe they become so pure through different carnations that they get to that point. I don't know. But I, I like to think of this earth school as a training ground to be a spiritual guide. I really do. You know, because in a way, what we do here is our own heaven. And the life that we live reflects in some ways what we experience when we cross over, you know, in some regards. And it seems like through the evidence we come here for multiple lives, at least according to Dr. Jim Tucker and Ian Stevenson. I, did, you, did you have any memories of other lives or? Yes, I know, you know, it's more in-depth and chronicled than life after breath, but I always say from completion we begin and messages are, you know, continued until deeper lessons are embraced through carnation, you know, incarnations. I say carnations and that sounds like flowers I like the word better though, because incarnate, I feel it's like you, you incarnate and, but it's not, it just doesn't add up. <laughs> There's a lot of different school of thought. I know, I know some people say that life is a school where you're here to learn things. And I, I would say yes and no, because I think the soul in its own way comes from an all knowingness. But I think in a way we're here to integrate that awareness, you know, into different lifetimes. So we evolve, you know, throughout different existences and lifetimes, and it becomes ingrained in who we are versus our awareness and maybe some separation of that, you know, within the soul's evolution. Okay, so a few questions are coming in. Darren, were you raised in a religious lifestyle as a child? I know you go into that some in your book, too. So but yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I grew up, you know, in that kind of home, obviously very loving home and, you know, still keep in touch with my family, but it, it was, it was, um, it was different. You know, it's kind of like, I, I'm a little bit kind of like Benjamin Buttons and Brad Pitt, if you're familiar with that movie in a sense that you had this experience and people get older, chrono you know, chronologically, but there's a lot more f forgetfulness sometimes with people you know, within their own spirituality and their own empowerment. And so I think religion is kind of a God outside of ourselves, but the spirituality is an inner God, you know, an inner awareness. And I think the afterlife exists not because of religion, but despite of it in a way. And so it's a much, dif much different rapport and um, engagement with life itself, I think. One angle is something that we're taught in one angle, is a foundation of who we are and what's inside of us. I know from like other conversations and from reading your book, you were raised, your parents were very Jewish and believed in God and believed in Judaism. How did they feel? And I know your grandfather, 
if I'm correct, was not so religious, but the rest of your family was. How did they feel about you having such a different perception and also having had based on an experience, I mean, at a young age, it's not like, you know, you're 19 and been at college and are like, I see the world differently. I mean, most four-year-olds don't have that kind of wisdom. You know, I wasn't like the kid from Heaven is for Real, if you're familiar with that movie, who just kind of got up. It's kind of like a boy, who I think, who had an NDE, and they made like a major motion picture oh, yeah. of it in a book. I have to give so a he disclaimer, just, like, I've heard it was... Like it, it was turned out to be bullshit, but I, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. What, what, what I'm saying is, I have to give a disclaimer about that. So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but what I'm and, and fair enough. What I'm saying is that kid was like very, in the movie, very matter of fact. Like after he he had his experience, where I was different. I, I didn't just right after this come out and say what I had. It took me a while, which is a lot more common for near death experiencers, especially as kids for them it's something just so sacred and so precious that you know we hold on to it combined with the fact that words are just so limiting i just couldn't put it into words yet you know it took some time to really process so just because something isn't outerly portrayed doesn't mean it's not a truth within it just took some time for the inner and the outer you know to integrate it was more on me like i was very rebellious against almost anything. I was usually the most difficult kid in my family. We all had the same food, the same house, the same everything, but I was a big outlier. And I think this experience kind of put me at that way, where in a sense, I was taking off this kind of conveyor belt in a way, where it was hard for me to just kind of go with the flow. I just knew something was different. And, you know, I wasn't this just empty kind of uh, slate or this empty vehicle I was wasn't necessarily this body or this child or anything like that so it took a lot for me to just have radical acceptance of myself as Jake you know versus when I had my near-death experiences kind of brought me up to this timeless soul in this finite being so it was very complex growing up I didn't do a very good job at explaining myself but it takes, it takes decades to really integrate and make sense of, I think. Hi, I'm just going to interrupt for a second right now because I got some feedback from a listener after listening to this episode about my claiming that the specific book was bullshit. And I really appreciate this feedback from any of you guys anytime if you think I've misspoken. And so this is the email I received. In your podcast a few weeks ago, you and your guest were discussing the boy in heaven is for real. You said that his story has been revealed to be a hoax. This is not true. There was another boy who later admitted his story of a visit to heaven was entirely made up. The boy in heaven is for real called him Burpo stands by his experience. The boy who made up his story is Alex Malarkey and his story is called The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven. So that's true. I actually, in my mind, had mixed that up. I had not at this point heard of Heaven Is For Real. I can't have any personal opinion on it at all since this was the first I heard of it was in this podcast. So I take back stating it was bullshit. An example. I have 
lot of questions about what you just said. I just want to touch on the re some of our viewers' comments. Darren, good, thank you. Darren believes the fraudulent one was called the boy who came back from heaven, he believes. And what I said was fraudulent. I'm not saying, I, I'm not making any positive claims either which way. I just think so. And then I don't want to say 100% that I know one is fraudulent or not. I would have to look at it a little. And then D D free 444 do angels, guides, others still connect with you here on this plane? And I guess apparently the, I, I apologize if this isn't how you pronounce it, your Instagram handle, but dfree144 said that you still connect and always have with the presence. And I know you commented earlier, you ha yourself have had an NDE and you still connect with the president, with the presence. <laughs> Um, that I, I, I do, yes, that too. Yeah. <laughs> connect with the president and the presence the president. too. I, I could say that just. Connect I, with this president, I, I feel so good about the previous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I take a pass on that one too. I hear you, yeah. but um, <laughs> um, I think we all do. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think we all connect. Not all of the unconscious is conscious. And the near-death experience was the most, in a way, unconscious to be conscious experience. We're in a sense that we have amnesia of what's around us and what we're connected to. At times, some people have a little more recall than others, but through time, I think everyone has the ability to connect and remember and expand their own awareness. And I've had a lot of profound connections and Sadly, like myself and others, sometimes it's like that shakeup of consciousness where something traumatic or something kind of happens where you just kind of like altered and you just like, a, again, that rubber band, you go beyond, you know, this body and you go to another realm and then you come back. But I view the brain, and I don't know if you could attest to this, the brain, at least for me, is a great ally between the two worlds as, you know, once my brain literally cracked in half that's when the other side came in as the saying goes or when you could say my brain cracked in half my brain cracked my brain cracked open and god came in i mean that literally happened to me and so that's really been an impetus behind my work in mindfulness and hypnotherapy because the brain is such a pivotal filter between the two worlds and i think we have to use how we have to learn how to use our mind and our brain not let it use us if that makes sense Darren has another question. Did you find yourself out of find yourself out of body in the earth realm at all during your experience? Yes, it was interesting with my NDE as I was aware of what was going on in multiple ways where I was able to go back to what was happening to me in the earth body. And then I was able to go, you know, like the rubber band to go to the other side. And so I had multiple forms of awareness. And, you know, I think when we're spirit, we're not limited by the body. Our perceptions and our consciousness is virtually unlimited and very unencumbered, so to speak. So it's a different feeling than what we're used to being poxed in into this dense body sometimes. And so on that, how did you feel when you came back? I mean, did you feel trapped in your body? Were you happy to be back, mad? What? What, how was that? A lot of anger, and my mother could <laughs> attest to this, where 
it was such a juxtaposition and such a diametric opposite, opposite position of being on the other side and then waking up on a hospital bed, you know, being this place where all was well, will be well, and is well, you know, eternally, to coming back to being in a different position in a hospital bed. And literally due to my anger, and I think as well as trauma and just an inability to kind of explain what happened, you know, I literally got in a rage and my mother told me that I kicked the doctor and was, was furious. And that's very synonymous with people who have experienced traumas that they have a lot of uh, bogged down anger, you know, that they can't properly express, you know, at times. And so I think that was a double-edged sword as to why I'm able to remember it. It's like, you think of 9-11, we all remember what we were doing, where we were, but 9-15, 9-16, we're like, I don't know, where were you? So surrounding this NDE, I, you know, the only thing, one of the only things I remember from my childhood was things related to this NDE and, and uh, consciousness expansive experiences, you know, amongst a couple others. But in general, my memory is not that much more different, you know, outside of this profound experience, I guess, in some ways. Uh, I mean, it must have also been weird because you had this very deep knowing experience. I mean, just more knowledge than I'd say most adults, even older adults, have in this world. And then there you were in a three-year-old body. I, I feel like that would almost feel demeaning. Am I wrong? Or I mean, you know, when I was on the ground, there were people trying to call me, you know, who went with me in the park. And I remember them calling me and I just could it relate to how loved ones feel when they cross over or where I was aware of what they were doing and I wanted to communicate with them. I could see them and I was almost kind of like shaking them, but they were looking at my body and that was not who I was. And, you know, sometimes the word meat suit is thrown out and I think the body is very sacred. I'm very grateful. You know, it's, 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 it's a very sacred temple here, but it's not the totality of who we are. It's just a filter. And so we have to use it to our best abilities to really maximize this experience. But from people looking, you know, talking to me, yelling my name and I wasn't there, that didn't stop, you know, my childhood. It's like they were looking at my body and what was on the surface versus seeing beyond it as to who I was. And it was frustrating, you know, in that regard. Oh, and hi, okay. My friend D Free is my friend Deborah Freeman, who's amazing. So hi, thank you for joining. I'm sorry I didn't recognize your Instagram handle. And hi, Heidi. Right. And but then what about after? Because I mean, when you're like four years old, five years old. I mean, your life's not yours. Like things are made for, decisions are made for you by people who know so much more than you. And, you know, for the average five-year-old, that's safe. And, but in a certain way, you must have, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I'm imagining that you had a lot more wisdom in a certain way than even the adults around you after an experience like that, at least about maybe how the world works, even if not like how to take a bus or get lunch or anything, you know? So I can't, did you experience yeah. that? I feel like it almost maybe be a little frightening or trapping. I don't know. I... In, in a way it felt a little bit suffocating because I think we're used to depending on our parents and it's not their fault. And so having this near-death experience, I, that pedestal of the parents was kind of taken down to just an ability to see them as, you know, people that birthed me and people who are in this lifetime, my parents, but beyond that, the ultimate parent 
you know, is, is our creator in a sense in that we come through our parents, but don't belong to them, so to speak, you know, and we're ancient beings and we're much more than what the world sees us as, as our parents. And it's just kind of like a temporary role and construct on the stage of life. And so I wasn't, I was able to see the different roles that people played. I wasn't kind of blind in the play. I was able to really like recognize, oh, they're playing the role and it's contracted versus just kind of like being in the play and forgetting the genesis before the play and, you know, the different acts that people had to play in, in the theater of life, in this life. But it was hard because the deprivation of oxygen through suffocation, you know, felt like it lasted a while because I had this memory, but I just knew the world around me forgot it. And that was a very lonely place where I just, to survive, needed to bog that down. And just, it was always in the background, but I think to, fr to thrive, eventually, like the beach ball coming up to the water, I had to make sense of it and take ownership of it. And I think that's nothing different than anyone. We're, in a sense, for us, we have to kind of play the game, but then eventually we come to who we are and we re-remember who we are and we expand and it's kind of like we contract, you know, as kids and stuff like that. And you kind of learn the game and then eventually you recognize that it's not suitable. It's not sustainable. It's not satiating to an inner part of us. And we begin to start to listen to that itch that there's something more inside of us that needs to be nurtured. Yeah. I find aspects of that relatable too. I mean, probably human experience. And, and did you try, did, would you ever tell people your story and, they wouldn't believe you or did you just like as you got older as a teenager dating like friends were you ever like this crazy thing happened to me when I was three and people thought you were nuts like, how, how would you handle that well you know I really kept this to myself it was very sacred so I there you know and I'm a very private person yep very public but there's just a part of me and I think the weird part is I grew up with friends and like we thought we knew everything about you and there's just this part of me that I always kept within and I think I did that to just kind of like fit in and integrate I mean there were moments you know in my childhood which I speak about in life after breath where I was tapping into the stuff and I was able to remember just different experiences after this NDE how my brain was so changed through the trauma but also how this sliver of light was moving through it and that allowed me to really cross over, but also have a heightened sense of awareness of energies around me. But I just knew through different encounters that the people around me had no idea what I was doing. And so I kind of like bogged that around. And eventually as a kid, it became more of a nuisance than anything. I didn't walk around saying this is psychic, this is a premonition, but I would see, hear, and know things that would just come into fruition and it was annoying <laughs> because I just wanted to live my life. But some things that I just saw, even in my you know later adulthood, would, would come true. And it, it just was interesting. But I kept that all very private, you know. So you, I have heard this, that people who have near-death experiences come back to this world with inexplicable abilities such as psychic or mediumship abilities and not that you have much time to compare what you were like before this near-death experience but you mm -hmm. came back feeling like you have psychic abilities abilities that intuitive abilities 
think we all do. I think intuition, you know, is a language of the soul, but some people further develop it, remember it more, fine tune it, if you will. Some are born with more of an ability to own that gift within this life, but it's something that we all have. Uh, but the NDE certainly allowed a different trajectory in my life where it didn't open anything that wasn't there, but it just allowed what was there to be more open, if that makes sense. Yeah. It wasn't as blocked. So it was just allowing myself to just expand to who I was, you know, without as many barriers. So you said, though, that you had some, like, psychic experiences, would know things. Do you have any really interesting examples? Do you remember that, like, you knew and then came true or any, like, what I call what the fucks? I mean, not that your NDE isn't a major what the fuck, but... You know, there any oh, yeah, I could what the fuck say that all day. I love that word. But, you know, <laughs> uh, you know what the fuck moments. Um, let me just like see. Like a here. psychic one. Yeah, um, one of the ones you were saying. Absolutely. You know, one day, like in high school, I used to be very, you know, for those who know me, I, I was, you know, I, was, I am still very empathic, but I was very overweight due to a number of reasons. I think a lot of it was stress and some of the psychotropic medications that I was on as a child. I used to get teased sometimes for my weight. And, you know, one day a kid, you know, teased me, you know, and I just remember it just being in the auditorium in high school. The kid was like a little punk. And um, <laughs> and I just had like an image of this kid. It just said, this kid's going to go in a couple of years. He's going to die young. And it wasn't like vengeful. It was just a knowing, you know, and then one day, on a Saturday morning, I was commuting to work to my job at like 8 a.m. And the road that I just would go on every day was blocked. And I'm like, what's going on? And then with a couple hours, I was able to put the math together that this was that same kid that said that. And so and he'd been in an that, accident on that road. Just just happened to be that I had to happen to be there out of all roads. It was just a random road early in the morning, that morning after. So that to me was evidence of like what I saw and how there's a timelessness in times and how we're able to just go past this linear time and see something as if it's, a, you know, it's happening. So I would tap into that a lot, you know, those kind of things that would just kind of come in or some kids just getting married and having premonitions of that. But having an NDE, it's, I don't even like to say the word, but I have an awareness of death sometimes in a way because having this closeness or brush with fatality, I pick up on that a lot. And I don't like to even use that word death to me because it's just so opposite of what it truly is. To me, it's a rebirth. I think it's a death for us who are here, but for the soul, it's a rebirth period and, you know, expansive and freeing period, if you will. I think more so for us, it feels like death. But to me, death is, there's no continuity so it's a total opposite word than what happens when we cross over, you know, which is why, you know, Raymond Moody, who coined the term life after breath, you know, close with, you know, life after life, he coined the term near-death experience. He didn't have death within his book. He just said life after life. And that's, that's so true. One thing you know, within his book. that I at least started to think that made this more relatable to me when I started studying all of this about how we're not just our bodies like think about how we identify ourselves as our body at certain moments and then it's completely different like 
I am six years old. I am a student at like whatever university mm -hmm. I am, you know, I am like a baby. I am, you know, an elderly woman, like all those things we say I am, and they're all just related to a very temporary state of our body. And yet we don't, I know in other languages, like in French, they'll say like, the translation of I have like 12 years old. And here we say I am. And it's this, it's very much as if we're, the way we put it together in our language is almost as if we're saying something permanent, like that's what we are when we already know it changes. And, you know, our relationships with our loved ones obviously completely change. Like your relationship with your parents when you're two versus 25 is completely different. So that for me was, I guess, one part of a very tangible, relatable way. I could somewhat understand what it means that we feel like we're our bodies. We speak as if we're our bodies in our culture, and then maybe we're not. And also, all of the cells in our bodies change over every seven years. So we're not mm -hmm. even in the same body. I mean, obviously, there's like coded DNA that we look a certain way. And I mean, some things I'm sure are the same, you know, obviously, the code of our hair color, or the code of our eye color, you know, you're not like a totally different person. But I don't know, somehow, like putting all that together made me somewhat able to understand this concept in a relatable way. Yeah, you know, I always like the saying, we can't ever stepped in the same river twice the river is always changing in a way club care is a charity organization founded by emma justice after the loss of her father david justice to glioblastoma club care is dedicated to supporting children and families dealing with cancer they strive to create joyful moments through meaningful projects impacting individual families, as well as larger oncology communities. Funding for all projects is raised through philanthropic donations. Go to makingheadway.org backslash programs for a complete list of programs and activities. As I'm sure you've heard, the Supreme Court in the United States just overturned Roe v. Wade, which protects a woman's right to have an abortion if she chooses. Now it's illegal in some of our states. If anyone is looking to obtain an abortion and you live in a state where it's illegal, you can check the following sites. I suggest using a VPN, virtual private network, which hides your identity on your computer or phone. These are the sites, Women on Waves, Org, womenonweb.org, aidaccess.org, plancpills.org, wholewomanshealth.com, abortionfunds.org, and of course, Planned Parenthood. I link to all of them on our Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore and they're saved in our stories. These are also great places to donate and see if they need any help. But I think it's a, an important value because I think it's important to remember who we are in our eternity 
but also to remember the impermanence of this lifetime that we're living. How sometimes we feel that whatever stage we're going through is permanent. And even pain, you know, that goes on, that progresses, even turmoil. And we just have to look at a macro level at the world where currently what we're going through, it could feel like permanency, but it, it goes on. But I do feel the planet and us are very related, where the earth is dependent upon the sun. And so too, our inner being is dependent on our own light for it to really take form and to work. And so I think we really need more light on a macro and micro basis for us to progress. It's a dependency. Are you so. using the word light to mean consciousness or like the energy we download into our brain consciousness? What do you mean by light? It could be different from person to person, but I would just say that inner connection, whatever that is. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people just associate spirituality with mysticism you know, mystical experiences. And I could say it can be, but it also could be other things too. I think really it's like a deepened relationship to life itself. And here, the deepest thing that we have is our relationships with each other. And so that is a very deep part of our spiritual growth and evolution is the relationships with each other, but also the connectivity with the depths of life itself. And so you don't have to be burning incense or sitting in a yoga position. You can be, but also you could be someone who's not into this stuff who just has a depth of life and they are just who they are. And I think who you are and being true to it is the most spiritual act that you could probably do, is it not? You know, so it's different because I think in our world we sometimes associate, you know, capitalism with spirituality in a sense that we have to attain a lot to be a lot. But it's really think of a lot of it as a process of reduction of all the things that we're not to coming in clear foundation of living from that place of what we truly are. And Deborah Freeman has a question. Um, did, did you understand the same knowing as your human body aged? Did the depth of knowing increase? I think for most, for a lot of us, it, it decreases in some ways decreases. on an inner yeah. level. But, but on an outer level, and our ability to articulate it, it could increase. You know, as kids, our vernacular is very limited. For my MDE, I always hold on to what happened, but I would say in some ways it's broadened, because in a sense that it was a story. It's something that happened to me. And every story begins with a vision, including our essence. And so this was an incredible vision, you know, that I had that I don't think is anything different than all of us. We all have to some degree, a memory of this. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be here today if there wasn't a part of you that had some recollection of this stuff. But I think, to me, I was able to find meaning with integrating it to other people. And then other people having that ripple effect occur to them. So to me, an experience is just an experience. But if we give it meaning, it grows into something else. And it evolves even further than what it was. So... What happened to me is what happened. And my job really is to make sense and integrate it. I kind of walked into it. And now I have to make sense and ground it. So how well do you remember it? Because one thing I find so interesting is, you know, obviously this happened years ago. And most of our memories, I mean, I remember a lot from being two and three, but it's not foggy. But what I've noticed, and I'm curious if you relate to this, people who have NDEs, they'll be like, 
80 years old and have had an ND at like 14 and they say they remember it as clearly as if it was yesterday. It's like one of their strongest memories. Do you mm. feel that? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I'm my own biggest skeptic. I'm a very big skeptic, in fact. And for me, I, was, I even doubted myself in a way. I doubted that I was this young when I had it, even though I knew like I was in preschool, but I would, if you listen to my earlier interviews, I would say, oh, I was four, I was five. You know, then for the first time a couple of years ago, I actually had to sit down with my mom about it because I always just separated synagogue and state, if you will, <laughs> not church and state, but synagogue, synagogue and state. And she said, no, you, yeah. And she said, no, you were three. And that was a big what the fuck moment because it felt like two seconds ago. It really did. And I was just like, how's that possible for me to just have this so clearly and feel like a second ago? And I was that young. And that's my human part talking. But this wasn't necessarily a human experience. This was a soul experience. This wasn't an experience of a ethereal body. I don't think any of that is. Beyond that ethereal body is an eternal being. And we're just using that filter and that personality as an experience of the soul. But beyond that are dozens of lifetimes and experiences far beyond that so we're timeless beings having these finite experiences which we even are when you look within our lifetime you know i mean each day is different friends are different as time goes on sometimes you break up it's a lot of changing um even things that feel at certain moments like they would be permanent i know there you sometimes i read or hear and so i do hear my I don't know if you hear that. My little dog is having one of those dreams where he's running and making all those little squeaking noises. So if it's, oh, cool. if it's recorded on this, that's what's going on. And he's so cute. I'm not going to make him stop. But I'm so sorry if that's distracting anyone. No, no. We love dogs. You can't even hear it. Okay. Um, no. So one thing that sometimes I hear, and to me, oh, I'll first tell you what I sometimes hear people say is, oh, when you pass away, you go into this other realm, you become one with everyone else, you're not an individual. To me, that sounds horrible. Like, I want to be myself. Like, I don't mind the idea of me being me in different experiences and, you know, different people even, but like, I don't want to blend with like, everybody. So I don't know what are, do you have, I, what, regardless of whether I want that or not, do you think that's true? Or do you think we stay individuals? Yeah, I mean, I think that's more of like a Tibetan principle. I It's interesting because I always, you know, pose a question as to when we incarnate, is it possible for the lives that we lived or something like that for us to have dynamics with those loved ones? Or when someone passes away, let's just say, and they reincarnate again, how come that media might be able to have that communication if that loved one crossed over? And so... You know, I think, yes, we we recognize that we are more than that personality in a way. Um, we have androgyny. We have a lot more awareness. We can be that person, and we could show that person to other people. But beyond that, we become who we are. And I think we lose the temporary kind of filter of the personality of lifetime as a totality of our identity. But that isn't lost. We could still portray that. We could still have that. But I, it's my experience beyond that, that we go to a soul, which is accumulation, you know, of many different lifetimes. 
but doesn't attach itself. It could express itself. It could use that, but it's a, you know, it's a collective consciousness, you know, of who we are. And I think through the linear mind, that's not really so possible to understand the, you know, but, but through a deeper vantage point, we could understand the vantage point from a deeper perspective. And it's not that who we are is ever lost. I think we just even become more than just that. We lose that kind of, you know, just temporary filter or identity that is, but it's not the all, if that makes sense. Again, I guess trying to equate it with this life, I feel like I was very much myself, whatever that means when I was very little. And then I feel like as experiences happen, you kind of get more lost. And I feel like I get to be more myself as time goes on. I don't know if and I accumulate more experiences and make more choices. I don't know, maybe it's something like that. Right. I mean, there's the conscious, subconscious, and then I think the superconscious, which is okay. the part of us that very much has an all-knowingness in a way, or a knowing beyond what we're aware of. When we do cross over, that knowingness really continues. But we still carry this personality. And this personality, you know, wasn't just started from the genesis of that li this lifetime. We use different filters, but who we are continually evolves itself and becomes a greater expression of that. But we're always will be us in a way. I think to understand eternity, obviously, there's a lot of different anecdotal pieces of these transformative experiences. We could use our left brain to really have a case and evidence of eternity, but also their direct experiences, I firmly believe that it's possible for people to have that inner knowing throughout different you know, practices. One of those we can maybe delve into a little bit deeper soon is, is past life regression, which I think is just fascinating because- Past life you know, regression? Yes, you yes, one? I do that private. I, I, I practice it pub, you know, privately and with groups, but I think in a way, when you're going through it, it's just a form of hypnotherapy and you're really opening up the subconscious mind beyond just memories of this lifetime. But you're able to go into different lifetimes, different experiences, so that there's an inner knowing that we've lived many lives and died many deaths. And you have a clear, direct experience and knowing that you could take with you. And so I think there's many different paths the mountain to eternity and eternal awareness, but they're all the same kind of result in a way, you know, and have that potentiality. Okay, I have a few questions I'm gonna ask about this. First of all, do you think our first lives were on this planet in this cycle? Or do you think like we've lived multiple lives through multiple big bangs and big crunches <clears throat> in this galaxy and others? As of now, the science, the most logical explanation, one that seems to be the most true is you have a big bang, you have a big crunch. And I would guess this is happening eternally through multiple universes and multiple galaxies. And so do you think that our first lives happened eons ago in other planet material forms? I'm not going to discount that. I think that's a strong possibility. I mean, I've had a lot of clients who weren't into the whole life on other planets thing and stuff like that. And just through the regression, I've had them connect to lifetimes here on the Earth planet as also lifetimes beyond that. It, it was just fascinating. I, I, I can't just discount that. What I could say is the soul and the body evolve. And so 
this body, like Darwin would speak about, evolves. And I don't necessarily believe in the transfiguration of souls, like we're like ants and stuff like that. I think in a way, you know, we take on different characteristics, but it's, it is possible, for, I think, for us to have different memories and different planets. And a lot of people have that. So I can't give one opinion or another, but I could say it's, it's definitely a possibility. I would be really, I, it almost doesn't, it seems, I would guess, pretty much impossible that there aren't intelligent material beings of sorts, whether they're humans or evolved other ways, if there aren't other galaxies, universes, planets with intelligent material beings. It just doesn't even seem possible. The universe is so massive. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to discount with all the documentational videos and archived, you know, with, within secret governmental service and stuff like that. And people have had direct encounters, you know, in hot spots of what I call the Earth's kind of acupressure points and stuff like that. I mean, one particular, obviously, I think is in Peru. And that's a spot that people, literally, there's signs on the road that say just UFO sightings, because, you know, they're very kind of elevated states. But I think in a way, they are much different than depicted in, you know, in the media or cinema, they're very much higher intelligent beings, but it's hard to discount that. It's hard to discard that. There's been so many different, you know, kind kind of stories and encounters. Leslie Kane is someone who's done fascinating research on that. And I'll link to her in the show notes if any one of you are listening to this on the podcast, not IG Live. Um, also, I wouldn't be surprised if there were lots of inte material intelligent semi-intelligent beings on other planets that are like as intelligent as us and less intelligent but some of the theories are you know oh, that much higher intelligence are visiting us and there does seem to be some valid research about that that again i definitely recommend reading leslie kane about that but i also bet there's just ordinary beings like us on one of the god knows how many galaxies solar systems are out there you know that couldn't even begin to imagine going to another galaxy yet you know i mean we're just getting robots to mars which you know 100 years ago would have been unthinkable given you know it makes sense that we would incarnate carnate whatever is different why just here for trillions of years i mean time at a level we can't even begin to understand that's actually something I want to ask you. What's your view on time? Everyone says time is, everyone who has NDEs says time is really different than we perceive. Einstein says yeah. that too. Particle physics says, quantum physics says that too. So what do you have to say about that? I'm a big runner. It's I kind of like equate it to time being on a treadmill. We feel like we're moving so many different miles ahead and stuff like that. And on an inner way we are, but I don't necessarily buy into the notion of time at all. Uh, and having an NDE, the time that I experienced was an acute awareness that all was well, was well, will be well. And it was just this eternal moment. So I think it's a trick of the mind in a way, but also a good point of resilience. We're knowing that no matter what we go through, it's an experience, but we always come back to a timelessness, even if we feel like we're, going through an eternal period of struggle or whatever that is. And I think no matter what, it's, it's something that we perceive on our level, but when we go back home, 
you know, we recognize that it's all, you know, past, present, future. It's just one moment. And I think Eastern minds and Eastern philosophy really get that, you know, with Buddhism. And I think in a way they just connect to this one sound, this one moment, the point of just, you know, creation, which is Om, and just that one sound and everything coming back to this one moment. And I try to live my life like that with everything crazy. We could be very scattered and we could feel just trapped into this outer experience, getting into the truth and becoming one with this one moment. You know, that's a deepened sense of mindfulness. And if you're able to do that, you're able to flow a lot easier in life, you know, and have this power really guiding you in your everyday experiences. Mike Anthony is commenting that that treadmill time analogy is one of the clearest he's ever heard. I agree too. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I used to run eight miles a day in a treadmill and think that I was going far too, but it was effective, right? You know, when we're working hard, we're sweating. It's in our life, it's effective. But, you know, in some ways we're traveling, but we're traveling deeper and deeper into who we are. But regarding time, there's stillness, you know, there's one moment. And it's, yeah, one thing, I guess, good about the analogy, because you really did run eight miles, but you didn't, in another sense, you didn't. You're still there, and it's like the ground. I'm just in that one, that one place. But, yeah. yeah, it's moving. Um, let's see, Deborah, Deborah has a comment. I hold the knowing that we ascend from the lessons that it is possible, for example, you and he have a close number or higher towards source each on, on this plane um uh, i don't know exactly what uh, i'm sorry i don't know okay peter has a comment my friend peter um we live in a three-dimension plane we find additional dimensions difficult to comprehend yeah, time exists for us as a point of reference yeah i like that yeah it's so complicated to understand yeah. other dimensions i know I found a really interesting video by Carl Sagan where he tries to show how you would explain a 3D cube in the third dimension to a second dimensional being. And I agree with your point too, Peter. You know, I think I like what, um, if you're familiar with John Holland, you know, he's a wonderful medium, but I like what he talks about where I think it's all a part of you know, the spiritual, but we have the human part and we have this awareness. And I think for us, we came here to descend into this matter for the, that exact experience. And so I think we don't want to neglect that part of us, but we also don't want to neglect the human experience. And so it'd be very hard for us to live in this human reality to not have an awareness of the linear time. We have to, in a way, and that could lead to, you know, productivity and the understanding of this time as limited on this plane. But if we're able to make an impact, we could transform not only death, but we could transform this finite reality to an infinite through the ripple effects of the life that we live. And so how we engage with the impermanence of time will impact the life that we live. If we're able to have radical acceptance of that and engage with that with a ferocity and, and a purpose and a meaning, we could really maximize our time here. Because to this day, no one has defeated eternal time in the body. No one has lived that. Wait, are you saying the that we could? 
active feet eternal time in a body and would we want to no no I, I i don't i don't think anyone has developed that yet but you're saying you think you know, no matter will? no matter what no matter what science has not allowed us to live forever in this body you know so not yet on a soul level we do so we have to have acceptance of that and we have to find ways to make the most of time that exists here but okay so you're not saying that you think we're ever going to be able we couldn't ever even if we even if let's say we found a way to live for I don't know, like billions of years we would still die when the sun burns out <laughs> yeah no one's no one's you know come to that place yet so right has it been done you lost me with a little bit of what you said, though. When you said that if we change our understanding or our engagement with time in some way, we could transform the human experience. Is that essentially what you were saying? I didn't exactly right, over my right. head a little. Yeah. No, what I was saying was our, our time here is temporary. Right. You know, yes. but from the lives that we live, you know, they could last beyond our years, you know, through the ripple effect and impact you know, of the lives that we live, you know, so that is possible, we you know, for us to continue. We could years, like, how? What do you mean through the ripple effect? Like, not through medicine, like our bodies could live for <laughs> No, not years. our bodies, but, not our bodies, but the lives that we lived and the meaning, the purpose, the essence of it, yeah. Right, I mean, that could even go on longer. I mean, you have people from thousands, probably from the beginning of time, I'm sure at the beginning of time on this planet, I'm sure there are even ripple effects of the dinosaurs. There, you know, it's sort of like you look at the butterfly effect. All these, for all we know, every single dinosaur, every single human has somehow created the world to be the way it is today, however big, however small along the way. There are so many different ways our material world could have turned out. You know, the economy could have been so different, who's in power, who, how things are viewed. Like it could have been so much better. It also could have been so much worse. I don't know, what do you think of that? Like, are you of the philosophy we're moving in a better direction or a worse direction? I would hope so. I think all that we could control is what we can control. And I think we have a lot more of an impact, you know, on the world around us than what we know. I think for us being, you know, in our essence and spreading light and spreading love is all within our own wheelhouse of control and if we're doing that we are making a difference because if we say that we are one you know then the oneness that we live our lives by and the ripple effects that we have have an impact beyond our scope of understanding so well what does we are one mean because to me i hear it and it freaks me out because it means that like as I said before, like, it seems horrible. The worst thing would be to die and have no consciousness, which is what I used to think happened. And then the second worst, well, I mean, not counting hell and all that. I never really believed any of that. That sounds like fairy tale, but that would probably be the worst worst. But like, sorry, not to be disrespectful to anyone's religion. I'm just, this is just my personal thoughts. But we are one. I picture that means that we're not individuals. You know, as we pass, we all just become somehow the same. Uh, being and I, I hate that i like the individual i like the individuals in my life that i love very much and so what does we are one mean exactly to you we have the individual and we have the collective okay you know we are in a way who we are but who we are is beyond just the ego beyond the personality you know it's it's a greater connected file than what we know of mm -hmm. um it's not that we lose that part and also, it's not, as someone says, it's not like 
we're a drop in one ocean, but an ocean one drop, so to speak. So yeah. we don't lose that, but we eventually are able to understand the interconnectivity of the lives that we live, you know. So it's hard because when we come from the ego, the ego sees the personality and stuff like that. Uh, but the soul sees the essence beyond just who we are. The soul connects. The soul is virtually unlimited in its connection. So we come from an unlimited vantage point. We're able to see beyond the limited self and the interconnectivity you know, of all things. And, okay, here's a comment from Papageddon. Yes, see, uh, oh, they also mentioned the ocean, like a drop is one with the ocean. And you can take the drop out of the ocean and look at it, but it is part of the ocean. And Deborah also has a question. Has a medium ever read you? If so, how did the reading leave you? Yes, I mean, these days it's hard for me to get readings just because I'm, a lot of this is Googleable or in my book. Um, so... I try to keep as much anonymity as I can, but I'll give you an example. I was read and someone just knew me on a first name basis, knew absolutely nothing about me. And there were things in the reading that nobody could have known that were not Googleable. But they started off the reading saying, I have a deceased child that's crossed over. Was that you? Do you have a son or did you cross over? Did you have? And she just picked up on the fact that I was a child and I crossed over. So that kid that had that NDE was in a sense crossed over but I am still here in a way if that makes sense and that was very profound amongst so other things so I think when you have a near-death experience there's a part of you that you were living that crosses over and I think sometimes in order for us to find ourselves we need to lose that part of ourselves in a way but that was very profound that they picked up on my near-death experience and again they knew nothing about me and if they had my book open and my whole Facebook profile open, whatever, I mean, there was stuff in there that I'm like, yeah, yeah, had, I didn't even remember that. Yeah, that's true. So it's pretty evidential. And I know in your book, you write about some experiences with mediums that was really interesting to read, too. Right. When that, when that started, she's like, did you have a son? And I'm like, I almost wanted to hang up the phone because I'm like the most childless man on the planet. Like, I, my books are my kids, but I'm like, all right, this is like... But then she like, you know, was was like figuring out, because on the other side, it's kind of like charades. They give you images and impressions and stuff like that. And it's not the medium's job to create that, but just to be the messenger and the interpreter. Nothing but that, you know, so it, it was interesting. And that we're getting, it's been over an hour. It's been an hour and 20 minutes. I don't want to keep you too long, but I mean, I could talk to you all day about this. So I'm going to kind of. If anyone has final questions, I have a few. There's one I always wonder, like people who cross over and mediums say this, that the other side is just, all, they feel all love. Now, my question is, I mean, there's a lot of absolutely wonderful people on this planet, beautiful things. There's also a lot of assholes and a lot of people, even a lot of us, I'd say almost all of us are a little, we, even very kind people, do bad things and that I can have more understanding about because you know we all get confused we all are just feeling angry or grouchy or maybe misunderstand someone but what I can't wrap my mind around are like people who just really hurt people like dictators murderers what how in, in a world of all love if like that's the other side how do we come here and have some horrible people do you have any it's hard I'm not I you know I'm not 
certainly I think we have a God within us, but I'm not God itself. And what I would say is, I think just from the life review, we could detect that when people cross over, they have a life review where they're able to go through the life that they lived and the impact through the other people's lens, you know, and that is felt. And so if these dark entities should decide to cross over, and I think in a way, sometimes these dark entities fulfill their role where sometimes for, for the earth to change, we need to at times see the polarity of it for things to kind of evolve, that it's not a one-way trajectory on a macro or micro basis. Sometimes we have big dips and then we evolve further and sometimes these souls have their kind of roles in a, in a way to play but i think eventually they begin my hope is to understand the level and impact and that certainly requires a lot of depth and you know suffering but i can't imagine i mean someone like hitler killed t over probably 10 million people i mean how could you possibly feel that or understand that and so I, I'm not 100% sure with these outlier souls what their afterlife, if at all, is is there. I could say that we, those who are of the light return to it, but those who are of complete darkness, I, I think in a way their own afterlife is a life that they live. So I don't think there's necessarily a hell or an ungiving job, a God, but I think it's reflective of the lives that we live in many ways and what we carry in the vibration that we have. And the more light that we have, the more that when we cross over, we enter that. Now, I think I was giving a talk yesterday and someone said that heaven is very far away and it seems like that. But I think when you vibrate, you know, on a high level and you have a lot of love in you and you're very connected to your inner being, you don't feel that separation. So it's not that the light has changed. I think in a way, souls are very far removed from that. And that to me is the epitome of suffering separation from your true existence. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. This is from Lara. Lara asks, have any mediums ever told you things that you said were wrong or no to, and then later came true? Oh, I love that question. There are actually two things that really stand out that this happened with. Early on in my research, when pretty much thought this was not true. A medium who has sadly passed away, who was certified by the Forever Family Foundation, Sandra O'Hara, told me, she said, who's Joe? Your dad keeps talking about Joe. And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of any Joes that are an important person in my life, or I can't think of any Joes that I'm good friends with or dated or anything. And she said, well, pay attention to the name Joe. Joe's going to be coming into your life and he's going to be very important to you. I was like, okay, you know, do I have to swipe right on every Joe now that I find on an app or, you know, what? So I since have met, you know, Joe Peretta. He's a medium. I've had him on other episodes and he's become one of my good friends and he's become key in my life and afterlife research. And we even did some experiments together and he ended up actually getting reading himself with Sandra and she made a really big difference in his life. So 
The other thing that stands out is I went to another medium and I said no to every single thing she said. She seemed honest. I don't think she was trying to cheat, but she just wasn't getting anything. She first described my dad and every single thing was wrong about him. He was kind of like what you'd imagine, almost like a cliche of a dad. And then after that, she started to tell me, again, this was very early in my research, way before I would have ever considered writing a book, way before I found Forever Family Foundation and started volunteering. And she said, you know, I see you doing something with this work. And she's like, I see you're really going to be doing stuff with like mediumship. And then she paused and she's like, this is weird because I don't think you have any abilities. I was like, okay, that's like the one right thing she said so far. And then she said, I see you doing stuff with this in some really unique way. I see you speaking in front of groups of people and helping people with this work. And I basically scored that all as zero. I was like, I barely believe this. I think this stuff is all so weird and such bullshit. Like I'm getting some readings and taking a shot in the dark out of desperation and at least trying to look at this, but I'm not even going to tell anyone I went to a medium. So, you know, down the line, here it is. And while she was wrong about everything with my dad, she was so on point with everything with what the fuck just happened and my volunteer work with Forever Family Foundation. And, you know, that's something I'll talk about in another episode, but it seems that maybe she was not a good medium, but was a good psychic. And maybe there's some, maybe she has just precognition, which means she can see the future. I mean, that's getting into a lot of speculation and hopefully stuff. There'll be more funding to study the differences like that at some point. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at WTFJustHappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a 
whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is and share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Are you an advocate, a change maker, a healer, or an expander? Does your business have an important story to tell? A story agency can help you craft and share your business's story with the right audience. A story is a public relations and communications firm that develops thoughtful strategies, content, and powerful partnerships for those who are making a positive social impact, sparking reform, and promoting well-being. Founded by Allison Mahoney, an American lawyer who has spent the past decade advocating on behalf of survivors of social injustices, crimes, and civil rights violations, a story agency is not your average PR firm. Reach out to a story agency today at hello at a story, E-S-T-O-R-I-E agency.com or visit www.astoryagency.com and mention WTF just happened in the subject line to receive a free 30-minute consultation. Can you remind everyone about your book, where they can find you, where they can buy your book? I, I binged read his book in two days, so I, can't, I really Thank recommend you. it. My book, Life After Breath, you see Dr. Ray Mamoudi here on the cover. Uh, you know, it can be found on Amazon, paperback, Kindle. It's been very difficult to create the audio. I've tried, but technicalities. And then you could also reach me through my website for different in-person online services at jacoblcooper.com. That is jacoblcooper.com. And hopefully within the release of the podcast, you, know, we'll, you could have that in there. My social media links are on all available on my website as well, too. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened, a sciency skeptic explores grief, healing, and evidence of an afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. 
It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. Oh,